Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Outside the Studio. This is Tessa. I'm so excited to have Raquel Cohen on the show today. She's a spiritual life coach, nature connector, a plant stylist, energy worker, and intuitive medium. She's the creator owner of Infinite Succulent, a San Diego-based wellness and botanical styling company, and the author of Infinite Succulent, miniature living art to keep or share, and everyday plant magic, change your life through the magical energy of nature. Raquel's previous work as an environmental educator and wild animal specialist left her anxious and depressed about society's destruction of nature. Then a creative relationship with plants transformed her life. Now Raquel is dedicated to reconnecting people with their souls through nature's infinite love, along with creative, intuitive, and magical interactions with the natural world. I've been looking forward to this conversation. We've had this on the books for months now, Raquel. Yeah. So um, plants, nature, environment, all of these things so near and dear to our hearts, so integral to who we are as a species and you know, every species on the planet, it's integral for. So thank you for doing this work and thank you for being here today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here and I'm so excited for this conversation. <laughs> me too. I'm also excited for your book because I know it's coming out in, uh, spoiler alert, October, which this interview will air after that. So people will be able to get the book right away but you have two books and the one that's coming out in it's october right october 11th i want to say october 25th 25th okay was it on the 11th at some point and it's being released so my publishing house is in the uk so it's being Uh released in the uk on like the 13th but then here in the us it's releasing on the 25th with which just so happens to be the new moon eclipse in scorpio (laughs) oh wow that's cool it and you had nothing world. to do with choosing that, did mm-hmm. you? I had nothing <laughs> to do with choosing that. Oh, I love nothing. that. But I work a lot with the moon. And when you work a lot with the moon, that stuff just happens. Like things just start on new moons. And then there's this big like kind of culmination or like harvest kind of thing on a full moon. It just kind of naturally happens, which is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I love the serendipity of that. And okay, so you said new moon in Scorpio, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. New moon so, eclipse. New moon eclipse. The eclipse season. <laughs> oh my gosh. So tell, yeah. could you, would you mind, we're going to veer off the topic at hand just a little bit, but I know just a teeny tiny bit about astrology. And when people say things like new moon eclipse in Scorpio, I'm like, well, what is, what does that mean? What do we do yeah. with that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I am, I'm not an astrologist. I do have astrology, astrologer friends, and I'm curious about astrology, Mm -hmm. but my big thing is I follow the moon and I connect a lot with new moons and full moons. So when it comes to like moon cycles, I get really, really interested. And every year we have two eclipse seasons, one that's kind of in the spring and one that's kind of in the fall. Mm -hmm. And with eclipse season in particular, it's kind of the period of time where we let the universe play the chessboard that is our life Mm -hmm. as opposed to us kind of playing the chessboard that is our life so eclipses are you know as someone who works a lot with the moon and likes to manifest with the moon energy eclipses are actually times where we kind of let that go a little bit and just it's kind of more a yin time where Mm -hmm. we really just kind of sit back surrender into what's happening and receive 
what's coming to us, trusting that the universe knows better than we do how to get us where we want to go. And eclipse time is trying to get us there. Sometimes it feels, can I curse on the show? Yeah. <laughs> it feels really shitty sometimes, uh-huh. <laughs> just to be honest, because we have no control and we kind of realize in eclipse season, we have no control. But so for me, seeing that my book is scheduled to come out on its own, on an eclipse, new moon eclipse, new moon is new beginnings, great for starts, great for launches. And with the eclipse, it kind of gives me a sense of like, here you go, universe, you take this book and get it where it needs to go. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit for me of like, take the pressure off, take mm-hmm. the pressure off, take the pressure off. So I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> That's so cool. And congratulations on your second book. Um, I, I'd love to hear about your creative process in writing. Have you always been a writer or is this something that was born out of creating Infinite Succulent? And Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways, yes, I have always been a writer. Um, you know, my when I was studying in school, I was very much focused on literature, English, um, sociology. So I was very much in the social sciences. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of writing involved with that. Um, and when I was doing my work prior to what I'm doing now, which was in environmental education with the focus on the ocean, I did a lot of curriculum writing, a lot of creating programs for students of all ages around issues like biodiversity, climate change, ocean acidification, um, conservation opportunities, things like that. But when I started Infinite Seculent, I didn't really think much about writing outside of the you know, blog posts, Mm -hmm. little DIY tutorials, things like that. And then my first book deal, like literally fell into my lap. Um, I was not seeking it. How how does that work? How does a book deal fall into your lap? (laughs) I think sometimes, and this is something I still deal with in my life. I think sometimes we are really good at making magic when we don't even know we want the thing we want. Mm. Because it's our want for the thing that sometimes ends up pushing it away. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, I think about that in terms of relationships, like the person yeah. who's like, I just want to be married. I just, or I want a child. I want a child. And it's like the struggle or the wanting is held so tightly that it's like it repels it. Anyways, go ahead. What were yeah. you going to say? No, you, you have it 100%. The energy of that, like, kind of desperate desire. You know, sometimes we say we want it so bad. We yeah. want it so bad. Like that's actually the energy within it is this kind of like, I don't have it. And it's something I want so bad that it actually hurts a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that can be kind of a repulsion kind of energy for sure. So with my first book, Infinite Succulent, which I have right here for those who are watching today, you can see it right here. It's so pretty. I just, I got an email one day that was like, hi, I am an editor at a publishing house and we want to write a book on succulents. And I love your Instagram. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I was like at the gym checking my emails. What? (laughs) And I'm like, um, um, I have to respond to this. Heck yeah, that's so Um, cool. Yeah, so I, you know, I got myself out of the gym, got myself like a good place and responded. And it was one of those kind of like serendipitous things because I had like eight weeks to get a book proposal together, Mm -hmm. send it to them. I mean, in some ways it was nice because I had a lot of that 
kind of fool card energy in tarot where you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just doing it. And this is fun and exciting. And you're not overthinking anything yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of went into it with that. And then this was in like November, December of 2018. And by January, no, 2017. And then by January, 2018, I had the book deal and the book came out February, 2019. So it all happened kind of quickly. And when it happened, I was like, yeah, I've always kind of known I wanted to write books. I always knew I had books in me. I thought I'd write children's books around the environment, mm -hmm. things like that. But I always knew there was a book in me. So to me, this kind of felt like an invitation from the universe to kind of step into where I'm meant to go. And it also felt like this was a a sign that I'm doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I had made a big transition working in places like the Monterey Bay Aquarium, the San Diego Zoo, really working and focusing in environmental education, conservation, and then kind of leaving all that behind and going into a place that was a bit more personal with teaching people how to create art with plants, how to really engage with plants and how to open up yourself energetically to the energies of nature in a way that feels inspiring that feels connective that feels artistic and that feels kind of reciprocal if that makes any sense oh totally yeah I mean yeah. I think about the way we um well just even the interchange of gases right like that mm -hmm. we need plants to breathe and <laughs> and our uh, carbon dioxide that we that we expel in turn helps is very reciprocal so yes leave even on a scientific level you know but then you expound that into like the more spiritual realm and yeah. I just think about like I'm I'm looking at your background all the beautiful plants it's just such a um, aesthetically pleasing thing to behold is the beauty of plants and you know that is actually part of their magic the the aesthetic feel we get from them mm -hmm. and how that impacts us on an energetic way is very much part of the magic that plants provide for us. And I think so many of us felt that, especially over the pandemic, when all of a sudden we were in our homes, couldn't really go much of anywhere except outside. And so many people started really getting into plants, really yeah. getting into gardening, bringing the plants in. Um, I think there's a number of reasons behind that but I think a lot of it the biggest reason behind it is that I think earth is really asking us to consciously reconnect uh -huh. with her and with ourselves as part of her and I think the plants are like the prime messenger of that mm, yeah well I want to dive into everyday plant magic which is the second book um and I'm just going to read a, a short blurb about the book um it is a modern guide to enhancing your life through the magical energy of nature, which we're just starting to talk about, from choosing the right plants for your spiritual needs to understanding where best to place them and how to harness their power. The practical and magical guide will equip will equip you with all you need to harness the transformative power of nature and your plants. So I want to I definitely want to dive into this topic of choosing the right plants for you and your spiritual needs. Um, and also where to place them. You know, if you think about, I guess we're talking mainly about within the home, like inside house plants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So around your home, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Like your porch too. Okay, yeah. cool. So can we start with choosing the right plants for our spiritual needs? Yeah. yeah. So 
first it's to determine what are our spiritual needs, mm -hmm. right? Like what, what kind of energies do I want to bring into this particular space? Let's say you're working with your, your workspace and you want energy of motivation, of focus, but also of receptivity and flow, right? So you want some of that kind of more masculine yang energy or yang energy, which again yeah. is not gender masculine. This is just talking about it from an energy perspective. <laughs> but you also want some of more of that yin receptive, flowy, creative energy too. Yeah. So for example, in front of me, I have three plants right in front of me, kind of just above eye level. Two of them have more of the yang energy that kind of focus and drive. And one of them is a bit heavier on the yin energy. So here's a really good example of one that has more active energy. And people might, those who are watching, um, you might be familiar with this plant. Those who are listening, I am holding a Sansevieria or a snake plant in my hands right now. And I always tell my clients that the energy and the look of this plant is like an exclamation point, right? Like it, <laughs> yeah. it's like straight up, <laughs> thick, wide leaf, just going straight up. Um, and that's really the energy of this plant too. It's like, come on, let's do it. Let's go. We've got all this energy, all this focus. It's also really good for kind of energetic boundaries mm. because it, and one of the common names of this plant is St. George's sword, because oh. it almost kind of looks like a sword too, yeah. the way that the leaf is shaped. So these are great to have at any entryway into your home or your business, like front doors, back doors, right outside the door, because they kind of protect against negative energies you don't want entering your space, while mm -hmm. also maintaining the boundaries of the energies you have created in your space that you do want. So, and you can really program them to do that. Like when you set it in front of your door in particular, you can program your plants to be that protector for you, just like you would program a crystal. So, okay. And for those of us that are not familiar with programming crystals or plants, yeah. can you walk us through that process? Yes, I can. And in fact, um, programming a snake plant is one of the rituals I have in the book, Everyday oh, Plant Magic. But Basically what you do is instead of just like taking your plant and just sticking where sticking it where you want it to go and then walking away, uh -huh. <laughs> you stick it where you want it to go. And then you kind of stand there for a moment and you energetically connect with the plant, which can look like so many different things. It can mean you could just touch the leaf. You can breathe with it. You can imagine your roots connecting with its roots. I mean, the ways to do that are kind of infinite, but really you just stand there and touch your plant and thank it for its presence and ask it to be that boundary creator for you. Ask it to keep out negative energies that are not desired and ask it to keep in the beautiful energies you have cultivated in your home. In the book, I actually have like a little spell you can say, but I'm really big on people using their own intuition. So don't feel like you have to say the words I created in the book. Use whatever words feel accurate for you mm -hmm. because that's what's going to have the energy behind it um, but you yeah. just ask it to do what you want it to do and that's it <laughs> oh that's so cool I love that I have a snake plant downstairs and I I love it I yeah. think I struggle with um the like the the brass tacks of keeping plants alive and where to place mm -hmm. them in mm -hmm. terms of sunlight and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about my office, which is attic space. So it gets pretty hot and dry in here. Um, 
And snake plant would be okay for that. Actually, they can, they can tolerate that pretty well. Yeah. Another great one for you, if your workspace is in the attic and it is hot and dry is cactus. Mm. I have Bring an aloe them. behind me that yeah. seems to do okay. Yeah. And, and aloe like is a... great because it's, it's well balanced in yin and yang. So you oh. have a bit of like that, like action, let's do it. And then you also have like let's just chill. Let's receive. Let's <laughs> let things flow. Like uh -huh. aloe is really good for both of those. Cactus is really great for, again, kind of like snake plant, creating these boundaries and kind mm. of protection. But cactus also has this added boost of like helping you get to the finish line in a project. Um, it kind of gives you that motivation to break through your own bullshit and just get to the ends. Mm. Um, another good one for that is orchid, actually. Orchid is another one that's really great to help you like get through, especially a long-term project. I bought some extra orchid while I was writing this book. <laughs> that's really good to know. <laughs> yeah, We have an orchid in our bathroom that we've been... I've heard a lot of different people talk about how challenging it is to keep orchids alive. And, and for me, it feels like this plant has survived when other plants that are supposed to be hardy hasn't. It, and yeah. I just put a couple of ice cubes in it and it I don't know. It seems. Oh, to wow. Die. I'm surprised that actually works. But I think most reason people think orchids are hard to keep alive is they think that when it loses its leaves, that it's dead and it's uh, not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like when it loses its bloom. Right. Oh, mm -hmm. all the blooms drop. My plant is dead. Like, no, it's not. It's just not blooming all the time. Yeah. Which is true of a lot of plants, right? Like they have a dormant yeah. period. Uh, you most. know, and you can force orchids to bloom all the time. But again, you're forcing it to bloom oh. all the time as opposed to letting it bloom in its natural cycle of blooming, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that if you were to just let the blooms fall off, cut back the bloom stalk all the way to like the base of the plant, and then mm. con continue to care for your plant in the same way, you should get more blooms in the following year. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So I diverged just a little bit. You used to, okay, so we covered the yang, the yan energy with things like uh, snake plant, cactus, um, the balance with the aloe plant. And you said you have a couple of different plants around you. Yeah, yeah. So a good example of a yin plant, and I can bring this one down right now. I need to water her today. Um, this is a syngonium. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah. Syngonium have these, they're also known as the arrow leaf plant because they have the, ah, you can kind of see here that the, the yes. shape of the leaves is like an arrowhead. Uh -huh. um, they're fantastic for balancing yin and yang and for helping you stay focused and heart centered. Okay. So like really getting focused on the message coming from your heart, as opposed to like writing from the mind all the mm -hmm. time. They're also very adaptable. They can you can train them to grow upwards or they can kind of spill the same way pathos can. And they're pretty easy to care for, mm -hmm. for what's kind of considered a tropical plant. Like they don't need a ton of water. They don't need to be misted a lot. One of the big things for me, because I have two kids and a dog and a business is like, I like kind of independent plants. Yeah. <laughs> like if you need to be daily, mis daily misted, like we're not really going to God. do so well together. And I think that's another really important thing before you start bringing in the plants and thinking about them energetically, also think about what are their physical needs, mm -hmm. just like you have to understand your own physical needs. So before you decide, okay, like, like you mentioned before with your workspace, I'm in the attic, I have good light, but it gets hot and dry. 
So that's amazing for you to know first. So you can say, okay, succulents would do really well here. Cactus, aloe, tropical plants, maybe not unless I bring in a humid, like one of the steam humidifiers or something. Mm -hmm. So first ascertain the room itself and do what I call like a room audit where you understand what's the temperature in here normally, what's the sunlight, where is it, how much is it? And then from there you can decide, okay, what are some of the best plants for these physical conditions? And then based on that, okay, what are the energetic conditions I want to bring in? And then you can make your choices. Yeah, thank you. And how about placing them around the house? Um, I mean, we talked a little bit, I think that's kind of an uh, the answer is intertwined with the spiritual yeah. needs, but yes. um, I feel like we're focusing a lot on office space. So what about bedroom space, yes. which, you know, for some of us tend to be a little bit darker, maybe mm-hmm. um, to to help be consu- conducive to sleep. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's not true. I'm thinking about no. my space. <laughs> yeah, well, I or, think we certainly want it to be darker at certain points for our sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like first ascertain What's the lighting in my room? If you tend to have a darker room, you can go for plants like pothos, mm-hmm. which are, there's so many different types. They're a beautiful yin plant and they do well in lower light conditions, not no light. Every plant needs some light, some form of sunlight, um, but they do very well in lower light conditions. In fact, one of the magical properties of pothos is this beautiful ability to help you integrate your light and your shadow. So if you're doing shadow work, pothos is a beautiful plant for that because the way that this plant grows in the wild, she really dances in the dappled sunlight of the understory of jungles. So she's climbing towards the light, but she likes to be under the leaves of other trees. She doesn't like the full sun, but um, she definitely kind of dances toward that light while still being able to handle the shadows so beautifully. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good plant for your bedroom. Another one I like for bedrooms, if you can maintain it, is ferns. Ah, um, yes. Yeah, I have a hard time with ferns because I live in the desert pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and I've tried, like, there's so many beautiful ferns and I brought some in and I just, I couldn't maintain them well with my mm-hmm. lifestyle, with what they need. Mm-hmm. So the only fern I have right now is a staghorn fern because they're very resilient. And I have one in my bedroom um, because ferns are fantastic also for like really embracing your fullness, like mm-hmm. your freaky side too. And to embrace all of you, like you're, it, it's a really great one for inner child work too. Because they have this playfulness to them, but they're also ancient, like ancient, ancient time of the dinosaurs, ancient, you know? So they have this like ancient wisdom, yet they still have, even the way they unfurl and they have those little, the way that they um, reproduce through spores that like burst off the back of them. Like they just have this youthful energy despite their complete ancientness (laughs) Mm -hmm. and for me I always feel that is such a way for you to embrace every single age that still lives inside of you and to remember like you're really only as old as you feel Mm, that's so beautiful I love ferns too and I'm lucky to live up in the Pacific Northwest so they're just great (laughs) up you know they're everywhere you walk out I walk on any trail and I'll see ferns uh I love that most beautiful fern forest yes yeah I mean, it feels like Fern Gully, you know. Oh my gosh, I love that movie. Okay, so I basically I showed that movie to my kids. I think last year, 
Thanksgiving for the uh-huh. first time. And my inner child was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And my <laughs> husband watched this movie and he's like, I understand you so much better. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prerequisite. I love that. I remember watching that with my father and he's such a softy. I remember him crying and oh. I get it. Like looking back, I get I feel the same way when I think about this idea. I mean, this is one of the topics that you're power uh, that you're passionate about is the environment, yeah. um, and and why we need to really understand how integral we as a species are. Not having power over the environment, but being very much dependent on our environment yeah. for survival and all of our species it's the same. It's not like one is more powerful than the other. It's, it's that we're all a system and we're all interconnected. So I think I would love to, you know, unless there's anything else we want to say about, um, placing plants in the home and different types of plant for spiritual, um, needs. Yeah. Do we wrap up that? I think that when it comes to placing plants in the home, and I go into this a lot in the book, but, you know, thinking about, really thinking about what is the energy you want to bring in. So it helps you connect with your own intention. And I think in a lot of ways, a lot of ways, that's kind of where magic starts Mm -hmm. is with intentionality. I define magic as the intentional movement and manipulation of energy. Mm -hmm. So it, it all starts with that intention. Um, So just really keeping in mind the, the needs of the plants, the way your home is set up, where you have light, where you're more shadowy areas, understanding where the plants will, you know, survive and thrive, and then focusing in on the energies themselves. Um, another good one that I get questions about a lot is like kids spaces mm. or um, uh, places like social spots of the home as well. So for big social spots of the home, I love something like a fiddle leaf fig or a, a large philodendron like the Monstera Delicioso or um I mean, any of the philodendrons can get really, really big, but these plants that are basically like, hey, it's okay to be seen, Mm. you know, it's okay to continue to thrive and grow and be seen and like take in people's appreciation of being seen. So those are really great for your um, kind of public spaces. Orchid is another really beautiful one for kind of social spots of your home. And then for children, I mean, it's kind of like know your kids, but some of the ones that come across really strong for children right away are aloe vera and ZZ plant. Um, For those who are not familiar with the ZZ plant, it's kind of like a thick stem with these green leaves coming off and Mm. they're like super resilient and can be in low light and high light spaces. So they're really, really easy and they have this really playful energy. Plus they have this great energy for curiosity and like wanting to learn. So that's one I love to have around where my kids are hanging out. Mm-hmm. I well. feel like I need one of those also. Yeah, it's a really easy one. And they grow Perfect. pretty quickly, actually. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's talk about now. And I love the way that you phrase this because before we agreed to have this conversation, I asked Raquel for some things that she'd want to discuss. And so one of the topics was... Um, how one of the largest lies we live is this idea that we are somehow separate from nature and to recognize that our health as a species and as individuals is tied to the health of the planet, which is what I was 
trying to get at, but Raquel just said it more eloquently. <laughs> so that's not really a question, but it's more of an invitation to take that topic and say what you Yeah. So it was interesting when I was writing this book, um, I wrote like double what actually is in the book because <laughs> I do that. Like I write a shit ton and then I have to like whittle away. <laughs> yeah. This is and great. also my my publishing house was like, we actually have to keep this pretty short because we want to sell it to foreign publishers and they like things short. Mm. So I like wrote double what I was supposed to. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's for a second book. It's all good. But <laughs> when I was writing my, one of the sections I wrote was this whole section of like definitions, like defining nature, defining spirit, defining earth, defining the moon, the sun, right? Like these definitions. And it was so fascinating because I looked up a definition for nature in one of the main, you know, dictionaries out there. And it said that it was everything that's part of this earthly world in opposition to humans. And I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Like, actually defining nature as being whatever is opposite to humans and what humans make here. And I mean, it literally blew my mind because it's like, how can you take us out of the equation of the planet we live on? It's like mm -hmm. everything on earth from earth is nature, except for humans who somehow or another, I don't know, some people might agree, like dropped in from another planet. I don't know. <laughs> who knows? We don't really know. <laughs> but what we do know is that we've been here on earth for many, 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 many thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Actually, I just heard something where they found like a tooth in an ancient place that they dated back, a human tooth that they dated back like 1.8 million years, which basically means our theory of evolution might be completely like blown up. <laughs> what? This is cool. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> I, I love this. That's a, that's a great digression. We can always come back to that because yeah, I, like I that's like actually super fascinating, and I want to dive more into that. I need to like research that some more. But it was just so astounding to me because it's this really weird illusion we have, especially in modern society, mm -hmm. that nature is in opposition to humanity, and I just mm -hmm. don't understand how we can remove ourselves from the actual planet we live on. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how we can remove ourselves from the only planet we know as home, the only planet that we know of right now is actually, you know, hospitable to life and mm. greater forms of, I don't know, greater, but like more complex forms of life as we know it as well. So to me, that was just like, well, no wonder we have this great idea of disconnection. No wonder so many people don't even consider this planet to be alive or astounding in any way mm -hmm. and I think that it's not that we're actually disconnected from nature I think that it's our perception that is disconnected mm -hmm. and one of the things I've learned through energy work is that you know the energy we believe is most often the energy we receive mm -hmm. so if we believe we're disconnected from nature and the unconditional love and support and security that this planet and true abundance that this planet provides for us, then we shut ourselves off to receiving that energy. And I think that's how most people function at this point. Mm -hmm. I know, and it's what's interesting is that even as someone who was completely, you know, enamored and involved in 
the world of nature and in connecting to nature and teaching people about nature, I was shut off to mm -hmm. receiving prana, to receiving energy from the natural world because I believed that us humans were bad, <laughs> that we were, you know, destroying this planet, that we don't deserve to feel her love in some ways, that we deserve to be, and this goes back also to my very religious upbringing, but like mm -hmm. kind of believing that like we deserve to be punished for the way we're treating Earth. Yeah. Well, you're touching on something that's really on my mind mm -hmm. daily lately, and mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Actually, just with having grown up in the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, I was born in the 80s, lived here for a couple of decades, went away to college and then came back in 2014. And having seen the weather patterns change so drastically in the last, just even the last five years, like our fire season, you, yeah. you're pretty much guaranteed to have smoke in the air and ash falling from the sky, yep. which I've never experienced in, in my whole life until five years ago, living here in the Pacific Northwest. So I think there, at least for me, there's this like terror yes. of what that means for us as a species, number one, and not just the human species, but everything like you're seeing these, um, the bees are endangered, the butterflies, all of these species being endangered at such a rapid rate. Yes. So it's terrifying. And for me, it feels like at least my knee jerk reaction is to numb myself to that and to be able to continue to go on because otherwise I feel just paralyzed in this terror and I'm not sure what to do with it and how to help. Or if I can help, if, if I'm insignificant or significant enough to even make an impact. And, you know, we do what we can, right, with recycling and conserving water and conserving energy and thinking about progressive ways to get from point A to point B. How do we cause less fossil fuel? Um, things like that. But it just feels like there's something way bigger that is like this boulder that's already begun rolling downhill that I feel like I'm watching this catastrophe unfold in front of me and it, it's paralyzing, right? So I wonder if working in, you know, places like a zoo or with marine life, if there was some sense of having to numb to be able to survive in an environment like that, where you do feel like, oh my God, humans are, you know, not to shame anyone, but like, I think we... For, for the most part, we have these really good intentions, right? But we don't realize the impact that one little tiny drop of energy, one place or, or perception, one place or another has in this whole climate that we live in. Yeah. And the fact that everything's interconnected, every exactly. single little thing. I mean, even the, the clothing that we wear, mm -hmm. how that impacts things like, you know, oil use and climate change and things. So what you're describing is basically how I felt for like a decade. <laughs> so what um, and there's actually a yeah. term for that. There's ecophobia, also called mm -hmm. eco-anxiety. Um, and it's common. Mm -hmm. It is very common right now. And it's basically the existential dread we feel knowing that we are basically rolling ourselves off a cliff right now mm -hmm. through our behaviors as a species, not recognizing that we're over consuming and over polluting our planet. Take a deep breath for a moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ground for a moment. I think it's really important for us to remember 
how old this earth is, how old nature is, and how young humans are in the scope of things. I think it's important for us to remember, while that is true, we have made a huge amount of change and difference in a very, very short period of time with how we are here on earth. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember that change is kind of the only thing we can count on mm-hmm. and that this earth has always been changing, but for the last however many thousands of years, it's been pretty slow and methodical. So we don't often feel the change because it's been happening pretty slowly. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing that that's not happening so slowly anymore due mainly to things that we've put into effect. You know, we've, through our use of fossil fuels and through our, you know, cutting down of old growth forests and just kind of disrupting the systems themselves and how energy cycles through the systems, we've shortened some of these timeframes. So now things are moving faster. Mm. I think it's really, really, really important for us to remember that we have all the solutions that we need to face these challenges already. Mm. We have the knowledge, we have the technology, we do have the desire. I really truly believe when you ask most people, we have the desire to live more sustainably with this planet. Yeah. What we need is our leadership, quote unquote leadership to get on board. Because I really think, and I was part of this for a while, I really think it was a disservice to society to put all the onus for change on each individual. Mm -hmm. I think that's necessary. And I do think that we should be teaching everyone about living in harmony with the earth, earth cycles, understanding that every single thing that we use comes originally from earth, right? Like, We have to teach people from a young age to have this relationship and this understanding. So I think that when it comes to each and every one of us, it's on us to create a personal relationship with nature Mm -hmm. so that we don't feel as compelled to just take our wrapper and throw it out our car window, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. we recognize that this whole planet is our home and we don't want to trash our home, Mm -hmm. that kind of feel. But when it comes to issues around the systems themselves, the production system, the energy system, that needs to come from governments and corporations. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, this whole idea of like your personal carbon footprint calculator that was so so popular in the early 2000s, that was actually a move, very strategic move by the oil companies to put all of the onus for change and blame on us Mm -hmm. and honestly i could stop driving tomorrow you could stop driving tomorrow a hundred of us could stop driving tomorrow and it still would barely have an impact when you look at the use of fossil fuels in our clothing production for example Mm. do we really need to use oil for our clothing production i mean isn't there other ways right can we even use recycled plastics to come turn that back into something for, you know, production of clothing? Like we need to start closing the loops and that has to come from the industry angle. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a yes and answer. I mean, I'm not trying to say we don't have personal responsibility. We do. But I think that this idea of dread and shame and blame and guilt 
has been purposefully put on us as a way to stall from making the big changes that actually need to be made on a systemic level. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. Thank you, Raquel. That's something that I've definitely, <laughs> I needed to hear. And it's not something that I haven't heard before, but it's like, I, I need a reminder. I think we all do. I think we all need that reminder that like, the shame and the blame that we feel is, you know, in part a call to return to, to remember that we're sentient beings and that our dogs and our cats and the caterpillars and the butterflies, we're sentient beings and we rely on each other but also to not be distracted from this really big um, presence of the actual entities that have the power to make the change that makes the difference or that turns the tide. Um, so thank you. And also I wanted to recommend two books that I've recently read that I think are a nice antidote to the fear and the paralyzation. The first one is called um, Grandma Gatewood's Walk. Have you heard of this? It's called Grandma Gatewood's Walk. And um, I believe it was a Pulitzer Prize finalist. Um, I think it was written around 2014. Um, but it details this this 67-year-old woman's story of hiking the Appalachian Trail in 1955, around thereabouts, 1955 or so. She was the first woman to through hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, the Appalachian Trail is on the East Coast, and it runs from Georgia up to the northern terminus of Katahdin Mountain um, near Canada in Maine, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're familiar with hiking or through hiking and that concept, this is like <laughs> a mind-blowing story of just inspiration, hope, and the resiliency of the human spirit and the connection that we have with nature. I mean, this was her solace was walking. She just <laughs> literally said one day, I'm going for a walk and didn't come home and then traversed 2050 miles. She was like the original Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> First woman to do it, it too. And she helped because during this time, and what I love about this book is it weaves in the history of not only the area of the East Coast, which I just find so fascinating, but the rise of the car, the rise of the highway. Um, and as a result of that, how we started to see our environment change and uh, like this hur hurricane season change back in 1955, right? So we're seeing that already and it, we're so quick to forget you know the the things in our environment have these direct consequences on extreme weather for example so that's one book i recommend um and then the other book is called the devil's dictionary by stephen kotler and um i've heard of that one before yes and you would have heard of this raquel because rosie and i have uh had stephen kotler on the yes. on radically loved multiple times yeah and rosie is uh, well, Stephen is a huge mentor of Rosie's. And for those of you that aren't aware, I co-host uh, uh, another podcast with Rosie Acosta called Radically Loved. And we have a, a segment called Wisdom Wednesdays. So um, so if you're interested in that, check it out. It's a really fun time. Rosie and I have a blast. That's how Raquel and I actually met. Yeah, I love the podcast. <laughs> I love listening to Wisdom Wednesdays. <laughs> well, we met through her book club, I believe, actually, yeah. right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, and I just love the serendipity of that. But anyways, I digress. The, the Devil's Dictionary is, it's kind of like this, 
I think Stephen Kotler de describes it as cyberpunk. <laughs> what do I mean when I say cyberpunk? This is how I think of it. Um, I think of it as like a hopeful apocalyptic sci-fi novel. In oh, I like that hopeful apocalyptic. Like that needs to be its own yes. genre. <laughs> it, it, and it is. And you're starting to see this a little bit more in literature and in uh, novels, in my opinion. You know, you can read Margaret Atwood, which is like the terrifying apocalyptic. Or Octavia novel. Butler. Have you read any Octavia Butler? Oh, I don't know. The Dowager of the Sour, I think. Oh, my gosh. Should Whoa, I? That book blew my mind. Okay. I've, I'm ready to down. And there are. They're like amazing, but so scary because yeah. you're like, whoa, this could be so real. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. That's why it's terrifying, right? So, yeah. which yeah. is helpful. And let's not get stuck in the, in the fear of paralyzation, which 100%. I'm saying to myself. <laughs> um, so the, the devil's dictionary, the one thing I want to call out in that book is this idea of a mega linkage. Um, and what, what kind of what that means, I'm going to loosely paraphrase is and you're already seeing this starting to happen over in Europe, the um, rewilding of taking back of agricultural land and rewilding it for um, re, re what's the word not recreating like hab species. habitat corridors. Yeah, habitat like corridors. Like like bridges of natural. Yes, space. yes. So yeah. you could think about it like in the way that I know this is true in Germany, there are overpasses for frogs, so they don't have to get squished when they're trying to cross the road. Um, of course, a mega linkage is in a much grander scale, and it's much more complex than that. But I think about the way that the animals are a very important central part of the environment. And when we take away the land that they have to live on, what happens, right? We know what happens now. And, and so how do we change that direction? Well, read this book it's really good and even if you're not a fan of sci-fi which i feel like people either love or hate this is an i feel an accessible sci-fi in the way that it's like if you're a lover of animals and nature and you want to think about a really positive hopeful future because a lot of the stuff that he talks about is actually being done yeah in real life so yeah, it, it gives you a, a you're right we've we've made progress and things are changing for the better and we have a tendency to focus on the negative i'm raising my own hand here <laughs> um but positive things are being done and and positive changes are being made i think europe's a little bit ahead of us in that sense yeah. So I just wanted to yeah. call out those at least two books that I'd recommend. And, you know, and, and I and I wrote those down because I'm totally going to be looking up those books. Yeah. I'm such a, I love to read. So I think Devil's Dictionary is going to be my next book to read. So oh, thank good. you for that. Of but course. just going back to that kind of paralysis we can get from that fear, that existential fear, that's where I think it is important to make small changes in your daily life to feel as though you're giving back to earth. Yeah. And, and I mentioned this term earlier, like the sacred reciprocity. I think it be, it's beholden on all of us now to create that relationship with earth again, that is the sacred reciprocity to first of all, acknowledge and appreciate all that we receive from earth and then to give in return. And the giving can be so simple. It can be standing outside and very intentionally breathing. So you're offering your exhale to the plants. That is a gift. Mm -hmm. That is a beautiful way to connect. It can be composting. It can be, I'm not gonna use any plastic today, right? Like it can be very small, simple things. And when it comes to small habitual changes to keep earth in mind, 
they can actually be beneficial for you too. Like, for example, I don't think I've ever bought plastic water bottles, like ever. Mm. (laughs) And listen, there's times where it's necessary, where you're having issues, where there's not safe, clean drinking water. That's when we kind of need it. But the plastic water bottle industry is such a sham. (laughs) Someone's like, oh, I'm going to take filtered water. Instead of you getting it from your tap, I'm just going to filter it a little bit more and put it in a bottle and charge you money for it. And now we have plastic water bottles that probably could like cover the entire earth a few times. So like little things, carrying your own water bottle. If you're not sure about the access of fresh, clean water, if you have this available to you, you can do one of those in-home water filtration systems. We have one in our house where like all the water that enters our house first mm-hmm. goes through this carbon filter so that all the what we can drink from every tap in our home. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that's a larger expenditure. If you cannot afford that, you can always just get those Brita filters, right? Like those are affordable. You could just pour tap water in there and then you can still drink and not have to pay money for water. Things like reusable straws. I mean, I don't go anywhere without reusable bags, a reusable mug, a reusable um, water bottle. Things like that are actually quite easy. Another, and this might be TMI, but another thing where I've saved myself a lot of money I no longer buy feminine hygiene products. Yeah. I use yeah. a diva cup and I use like the period panties, right? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. reusable pads. And I have not bought a single feminine hygiene product in eight years. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. Not yeah. not TMI in my opinion. I, I think that's a great <laughs> one. That's a that's one change I made for myself in my life that I wish I would have done sooner. Because it's yeah. fairly this is I, gonna be kind of weird. This might be TMI, but our plants love our menses. <laughs> Do they? Okay, tell me more about this. I want to hear. Okay, so we're gonna get we're gonna get in there right now, guys. So, <laughs> oh, tell me more. so uh, I use a diva cup. And one of the things I do is I keep a little jar near my toilet when it's that time. And when I remove my diva cup, I actually pour my blood into a jar. Now this is for magic too, because the there's a lot of magic potential within uh-huh. our menstrual blood as well. Think about it. It's this amazing blood that we bleed without being wounded. Mm. Not to mention it has this like creative potential beneath yeah. it as well. Yeah. So I just collect all of my menstrual blood. And then at the end, I go outside when I'm through and I have uh, rainwater barrels in along my house attached to our like gutters. Yeah. So I just add a little rainwater to the mixture in my little jar. I swirl it around and I usually add it to my gardens. Um, <gasps> sometimes I'll add it to my house plants and they love it. And what's so fascinating, especially with my gardens, is when I was connecting in with some of the herbs and meditation for the book, because one of the things I was able to do with this book was actually sit in meditation with each plant that I profile so I can ask them, like, what wisdom do you have to show, share with everyone right now? Like what, yes, we can, I, you know, look up their ecology, look up their biology, look up any medicinal properties. But then I sat in meditation to like, ask them, like, what do you want people to know? (laughs) And some of my herbs were sharing with me how I'm in them and they're in me right now. Mm -hmm. Like how our DNA is so intertwined because I've been like pouring part of myself into them and then I ingest them as well, like making teas and tinctures and things. So when I sat with like, I think it was Borage, my Borage that told that to me. And I was like, whoa, it like blew my mind because it shared with me like 
you you know I'm in you but you're in me too and I was like oh my goodness I cried I cried when she told me that because I was like I know you're in me but I didn't realize I was in you too you know Mm -hmm. that's so beautiful I love that thank you for going there with me and getting (laughs) weird I hope everyone enjoys that little tidbit I'm definitely going to try that we're getting a little witchy now. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love this. So I want to ask one final question, and I want to know. I mean, maybe it's kind of a two-parter. My questions are never are rarely direct and concise. <laughs> so okay, I, love it. I think, you know, I'm always looking for that like um, that key takeaway, that one message that you want people to walk away with. And I think it's both. This is why it's twofold, both from this conversation and from picking up both of the books, Infinite Infinite Succulent and Everyday Plant Magic? So I think the main message I want everyone to leave this conversation with and also to leave, you know, reading my books with is this remembrance of your connection to nature and of this remembrance of your connection to the magic, the magical energy inside of you. I think sometimes it's so easy for us to give our power away to like the magic of the crystal. Oh, I need this crystal to get where I want to go, right? Like I need the magic of the plants to ground me. And yes, I'm all for using these tools. And I believe that's what they're here for as tools for us. But don't forget that it's you, it's your magic. It's your intention that actually gets these tools to work. It's you. So I really just want everyone to remember the magic they have inside, the magic that can be reclaimed through your relationship with earth and remembering how magical this planet is. Because when we can remember that and connect with that and we know we're part of it, how could we not be magical too? Mm, So well said. Raquel, where can people go to find more about you and connect with you? Thank you. I think I'm the most active on Instagram. You can find me at infinite succulent i am on tiktok as well so you can find me there and then all of my all of my everything (laughs) is housed on my website infinitesucculent.com and i offer one-to-one sessions so that could be energy work sessions plant liaison sessions where i actually help you audit your home help you choose which plants to bring in and where to place them Um, and i also do intuitive read sessions where people can ask questions and we can also do some mediumship as well and then I also have coaching services where I do one month three month and six month packages for either um, increasing your intuition so cultivating your intuitive gifts understanding your energy and the chakras and auric system or for those people who are like I know I'm meant for more and I don't know what that is Mm -hmm. Um, I just I'm just finishing up getting certified as a dharma or soul purpose coach so I help people kind of recognize and remember the purpose of their own soul too so i offer those in three or six month packages and then i do plant workshops and plant special events and all kinds of different stuff you are a busy and talented lady thank you so much for carving the time out of your day to speak with us i really appreciate you being here and i'm so excited to get my hands on that book of yours um so yeah infinite succulent check raquel out Thank you so much, Raquel. Well, everyone, that concludes another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you learned something new. 
maybe remembered something old, maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life. My, <laughs> you can hear my dog in the background. She's doing a little happy dance. Um, so Daisy enjoyed it. Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media don't know what I would do without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic musical genius Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show. Only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks you guys. You make my world go round. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better, um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.